Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited that you would join us today and hope you're encouraged by the message you hear. If you'd like to know more, visit our website, highway.com.au. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? So good to be with you guys. Let me set the record straight about Victoria for a second. You know what, the, mo- the last few years, the best part about Victoria has been the road out of it. I'm not going to lie. But you know what, called to it, I love it. And God's doing something great in our state. Uh, but I am excited to be with you guys today. And uh, we had a great night last night uh, with uh, Hilltop. And your youth pastors really are doing an amazing job. Can we just give them a round of applause? I was saying last night, and I want to encourage you, church, because a healthy youth ministry really is a sign of a great church. And I was saying last night that um, uh, when I get calls from, uh, from pastors in our state or even in other states, they go, what's a great youth ministry we can kind of point our guys to to look at uh, to get a point of reference of what we should be going for? Every time they ask that, one of the places that I say they should look to is here in this house because it's got such a great, healthy youth ministry. And I want to encourage you guys uh, for believing in the next generation. It really is fantastic. And, you know, your church is in great hands moving forward because you've invested in the next generation. Amen. And uh, it really is something that I get excited about, just seeing the health that you guys have. And so it's really great. And uh, it is a great honor to be with you guys today. Uh, I want to honor Pastor Byron and Pastor Ann. Thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, 27 years of leading one church. Isn't that amazing? It's fantastic. Pioneering it from scratch. Dan was telling me about the missions heart you guys have and the work you're doing in India as well. It's fantastic. Uh, but you know, I, I'm encouraged by that. And uh, tonight, uh, we've got another service. Tonight, I'm going to be preaching on faith, the gift of faith. You know, the gift of faith, it's one of the nine gifts that we receive when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit and we can operate in. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you're a family, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, uh, maybe you're someone that's in the more senior years uh, of your life, come along tonight. It's not just a youth service. And you know, when you come along, it actually does something powerful for young people. You know, when you're there as a family, there's going to be young people here tonight who don't come from Christian homes. There's going to be young people here tonight who don't come from homes uh, that the family unit is intact. They might live with their dad or their mum, but when they come tonight and they see you as a family here, worshipping God, lifting your hands, what you're doing is you're giving them a point of reference of what they can shoot for in their future. They can be in the house of God. They can get married. They can have great kids. They can plant themselves here and they see it as a point of reference when you're here worshipping. Amen? So I want to encourage you to come out tonight. That would be great. Uh, before we get into the Word, I do have a five-week-old daughter. I'm going to gloat for a little moment. Uh, let me show you a photo of her. Uh, she's pretty cute. Her name is Gia, Janina Rose. And uh, my wife is Argentinian, um, but her family's originally from Italy. And uh, so Gia is Italian, and it means uh, God is gracious. And I'm a little biased, but she's pretty cute, hey? And uh, we've got a son as well. I'll show you our family photo. Uh, this is my family here. Uh, this is Aylin and Gia and baby Seth. Uh, our little boy, he's like a cyclone and I love it. Uh, he's 18 months going on 20 and uh, he's a busy little man and God has really blessed us uh, with him. Seth uh, was Adam and Eve's third child, if you're familiar with the story in Genesis. And uh, Seth uh, means appointed by God, uh, but he was also Eve's compensation uh, for the mess she had to go through uh, with Cain and Abel. Who's familiar with the story? Give us a quick wave. Um, and, and for me, I'd experienced some mess in life. Has anyone been through some mess? Give me a quick wave if you've been through some mess. Uh, I see a few nods uh, going on. Just to give you context, 
Um, I grew up fatherless. I, I was the son of a single mum. My dad was abusive uh, to my sisters. And because of that, court orders got put in place. I never met him. Still haven't met him. And, and I didn't have a dad to teach me how to ride a bike or kick a football. Uh, but I had an amazing mum who, who, who brought me to church every weekend, had me in the house of God every weekend, and, and had me planted in the things of God from a young age. And when I was uh, 15, in fact, on my 16th birthday, uh, I was a builder's apprentice and I was on the job site and I got a phone call on my birthday from a hospital letting me know that they just discovered that my mum had breast cancer. And I got this news on my birthday and it hit me for six. We went through this journey over the next season of, of the different, you know, chemo and radiotherapy and the surgeries and lost her hair and all these different things. But praise God, she came out the other side. It's fantastic. And Three months after she beat cancer, though, I got up one morning to find my mum unconscious in her bedroom. And my sister was there doing CPR on my mum. She's on her hands and knees working on her while triple zero were talking through on the phone, uh, you know, what to do. And I remember reaching down, grabbing my mum's wrist to feel for a pulse, but her hand was cold. And, you know, that day, the paramedics sat me down. They looked me in the eyes and they said, we're sorry, but your mum has passed away. And as a 16-year-old, I found myself without a mum and without a dad. And I don't want to get too heavy too quick today, but I do just want to give you some context of the mess that I've been through before I speak about what I feel God wants to share with you today. Um, and you know, I made a decision in that moment that what the enemy meant for harm, I was going to give to God and ask him to use it as a weapon against the enemy. And I said to God, God, I'm going to give you my story. I'm going to give you this journey. and I'm asking you to use it. And you fast forward through high school. And, and then I went to Bible college as an 18-year-old and stepped into ministry and been in ministry for the last uh, 13 years now. And uh, in the last 13 years, uh, my wife and I, through our ministry, we've seen more than 10,000 young people give their life to Christ. And I want to encourage you today that there are young people that are gonna come into this church, into this youth ministry, from backgrounds that are rough, from backgrounds that are hard, that God is gonna use and is gonna raise up as mouthpieces in the years to come. And this church is gonna to continue to have a mighty impact here in this state, amen? You know, uh, one of the roles that I have the privilege of um, leading is Youth Alive in Victoria. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, we took a step of faith and we booked a stadium. I want to show you a photo real quick. Uh, we hadn't done it for many, many years, uh, but we booked a stadium. And uh, we'll chuck that up on the screen. Uh, I think we got the picture. Hopefully we do. If not, we can come back to it. There it is right there. And uh, we saw the stadium completely sell out. And uh, we saw hundreds upon hundreds of young people give their life to Christ. The next year, we booked an even bigger stadium. Let me show you this next photo. And uh, this next photo, we saw, um, uh, I think, about seven or 800 young people give their life to Christ. That was 2019. And then who knows what happened in 2020, right? A moment of, of silence. Um, 2020, 2021, it was incredibly frustrating for us. But this year, we took a step of faith again. We booked another venue. We'll chuck that next photo up. And uh, we saw it again, completely packed out. Out, and we saw over a thousand young people give their life to Christ in one night. You know, this year alone in Victoria, we've seen 2,800 young people give their life to Christ. God is doing something amazing. We've been able to give out 1,800 Bibles to young people. 1,800 Bibles simply because we ran out. We didn't have any more to give out. But God is doing something great. And I know that there is an undercurrent bubbling here in Queensland as well. And God is about to do something great in this state too. Who agrees with me? Amen. All right. Are you ready for the word today? There's a big wind up. Let's get into it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
God, we thank you that the more we read it, the more it reads us. God, open our ears to hear from you today. Give us ears to, uh, to, to hear your voice and catch your whisper, but give us eyes to see what you're doing in the supernatural. So Father, right now, we open up our hearts. We're ready to receive from you. Would you challenge us and would you grow us? In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. amen. We're gonna read from uh, Mark chapter nine, verse 14 to 29. And this piece of text, this account that we're about to look at and rest on today is titled, A Boy is Healed. It says this in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. It says, And when he came to the disciples, this is Jesus, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I bought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground, wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has been thrown both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, check this out. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and it came out of him. And, the, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And this is a great piece of text. This is a great account that we read of a father who is wrestling with doubt and faith. And he's trying to quantify, how do I step into this place of faith where I still have a little bit of doubt in me? And you know, from this piece of text, I wanna preach to you today a, a message titled simply this. If you're taking notes, write it down. Unbelievable belief. Unbelievable belief. What do you do? When you have faith, when you're believing for God to move, when you read His Word and you see His promises and you know that God can do something, what do you do when you have that faith but there is still a little bit in you that has a bit of doubt? Let's be real for a moment. Sometimes we can come to church and we can sing some songs and lift up our hands and shake some people's hands at the doors. Oh, praise the Lord. Bless you, brother. Brother, bless you, sister. And we could, we could put on this facade, but really as just people, as human beings, we could still struggle with this thing called doubt. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Where you know that the Scripture says it can take place. You might have even seen things happen in your life before, but there is still this carnal thought in our mind that says, what if it doesn't take place? Well, in this account, we see this dilemma outworked in this boy's father's life. Here's a man who brought his son to Jesus because he had a belief that Jesus could do something. You know, maybe he could be healed. Yet, yet the dialogue with Jesus makes it quite clear that, that, that he's still struggling. He says statements like, if you can do it. If you can do it. 
alluding to his lack of faith. But then he tops it off with this beautiful statement, I do believe, help me to overcome my unbelief. It's that wrestle of unbelievable belief. If I was to try to put a, 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 a real world picture to this of unbelievable belief, uh, I'm led to that thought of bungee jumping, right? Like I'm not too extreme. I haven't done it before, but you know, I've been to Queenstown and I, I see all the ads for it. And, and, and here you have these people uh, with this, this, this bungee cord tethered around their ankles. And, and I would imagine that they stand o- on the edge of a bridge ready to jump off. And right before you take that jump, all of these thoughts begin to come through your mind. You know, what if I'm the 0.0000000 of people where this goes wrong. Like I know that it happens every day of the year, every week of the year, every month of the year. It's happened for decades. But what if for me in that moment, I'm the first person? What what happens? And as you jump, you know that there's something tied around your ankles that's going to save you, but there would still be fear before you jump. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know, I haven't bungee jumped, but um, many years ago, I ran a fundraiser uh, for, for a, um, a home in India called Parachute for Poverty, right? How good's the alliteration? And, and we got a bunch of different people in the country town where I grew up in and had a local MP. We had a principal of a school, a few uh, local footy players, all these different guys. We had about 20 of us, and we raised funds through parachuting uh, for this local charity in India. And... Um, and, and as I'm getting ready to, to jump, it's my turn, right? And we're going up in, in pairs. And so here I am, Dave Edgar from Youth Alive. And then the other person going up with me, his name is Albert. He's 90 years old. And uh, he had to get a heart check before he jumped. He had to lose 10 kilos to be under the limit before he jumped. And he's going up as well. So there's Dave Edgar, Youth Alive. And there's Albert, Barely Alive. And we're ready to go. And right before we take off, someone else is coming down to land. And as they're coming down to land, they're they're carrying what's called a sports parachute. Now, a normal parachute, you kind of just land, you know, nice on your backside and it's all good and you're done. But a sports parachute, it it swoops to a land and you've got to run. It kind of swoops down like a magpie. You know that demon bird that comes to steal, kill and destroy. Um, And and as as you're swooping down, you've got to run to, to land. Now, what happens with this guy is as he's swooping down, there's that moment where he's going too fast for his legs to keep up. You know when you're running down a hill? And as soon as his foot connects with this precious earth that God has given us, he trips over, puts his shoulder into the ground, and I hear the dislocation take place while I'm in the plane over the engine. Now, I've got to tell you, in that moment, there was doubt that begins to creep in. Oh, I know that this parachute is going to work. Oh, I know that my tandem skydiver that's strapped to me is going to save me. But what if what just took place with him is going to take place in my life? <laughs> you ever felt in the realness of life outside of extreme sport, but maybe it's family, maybe it's health, maybe it's finance, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's work. Oh, I don't know. But you ever felt where there's moments where doubt creeps in, where you go, What do I do? How do I reconcile this in my life? You know, I've journeyed through it. I told you my story and what I had to go through. And you do have to wrestle with faith and doubt. It's not enough for just us to preach breakthrough every single week. It's not enough just for us to say, you know what, you know, if God brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. No, no, there is uh, truth in those things, but we need to wrestle with the doubt that we have. And so I want to speak to you today on three faith-strengthening thoughts to shift your thinking towards God and His goodness when doubt 
begins to creep in, when unbelief begins to get a grip of you, here are three faith-strengthening thoughts for you to grab a hold of. If you're taking notes, write this down. Point number one. Turn to your neighbor, say point number one. Belief is a position. Belief is a position. The boy's father positioned himself where Jesus was because of his belief. His belief determined where he would position himself. If he did not believe that Jesus could heal, if he did not believe that Jesus could do something that no one else could do, he would not have come to Jesus with his son. His belief that Jesus was who he said he was and that he carried anointing and power to move in his son's life determined the fact that he would position himself there. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I bought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples. I positioned myself here that they should cast it out, but they could not. Again, he comes to Jesus positioning himself, saying, it hasn't happened yet. They couldn't do it. I'm still answering to the dialogue because I'm believing that God would do something. You know, positioning in life says a lot about what you believe. You know, one of the things I experienced in Victoria, I'm not sure if it happened for you as well, but uh, over the last few years, people would position themselves at 7 a.m. at Coles and Woolworths, ready for those doors to open, for them to get their hands on a precious resource called toilet paper. As the Bible says, three plies, not easily broken. <laughs> and they positioned themselves with faith that they would get what they needed. In the same way, you position yourself at an ATM and you put a card in, in faith, for some people it really is in faith, that as you put in some digits, money is going to come out and the bank is going to honour an agreement you have made with them when you trusted them with your currency. We position ourselves at those places in faith that something will take place. And in the same way as physical positioning at an ATM or at a bank or different things like that, we need spiritual positioning in our life. Down at the altar on your knees, it's a position of belief. It's a belief in the majesty of God. It's a belief that He's worthy to be bowed down to. When we've got our arms stretched wide in, in, in worship, it's a position of belief that He is worthy of surrender, that everything within us is going to praise Him. When we're crying out to Him, we're positioning ourselves in a way that says, God, I need you to come through. Do you know your positioning with Christ, be it close or not close, is not actually linked to your circumstance. It's linked to your belief system. You know, when stuff hits the fan, when things are going on in people's lives, very often I see different outcomes in the way that they engage with God. For some people, when things are going hard, they move from the front row to the back row. Or they move from the back row to no row and they don't come. For other people, when stuff is going on in their life in church, when they come to church, they move from the back row to the front row. All of a sudden, they're engaging a lot more in worship. All of a sudden, they're responding to, to, to altar calls for God to do something in their life more. And it says something in those moments about the belief system that we carry. I know one guy in our church, whenever his business would struggle, he would come to church and he would tithe. Now, you know, it would be great if he tithed every week. But he, he had a belief system that if I honor God, he's going to take care of me. Right? His belief system determined what he would do with his positioning. Your proximity to Jesus speaks about the belief that you carry. When stuff is going wrong in your life, are you going to lean into God or are you going to lean away from God? When stuff is complex, 
when things are heavy, when, when there is a struggle, what will you position yourself to? Are you gonna lean into God? Or are you gonna lean into yourself and go, I'll get through this in my own strength? Are you gonna lean away from a community of faith that can uphold you and pray with you and believe with you? Are you gonna lean away from that or are you gonna lean into it? Iron sharpens iron. Let's up, uphold each other. Let's believe with each other. Let's pray with each other. Let's call out faith in each other. Come on, let's, let's anoint each other. Let's lay hands on each other when we're sick, when we're in need. And let's believe for God to do something. Belief, my friends, is a position. You getting something out of this today? Everyone say point number two. Belief is a choice. It's a choice. Belief is a choice. Having faith in life is a decision that we make. We say, I am choosing to hold on to his promises in this season. I am choosing to grab a hold of what God has for me. First and foremost, let me say this. If you want help getting through a trial, learn his word. Meditate on his word. Grab a hold of his word. It's hard to hold on to the promises of God if you don't know what they are. Read his word. Open his scripture. Get it in you and begin to claim it and stand on it for your life. Choose to hold on to the promises of God. Belief is a choice. You know, there is a, a, a political term. Can I get political for a second? I'm from Victoria. This could be dangerous. <laughs> no, no. This is, not, this is not a political thing. I don't care who you vote for. You know, ask God to speak to you and, and let him guide you. But, but there is something um, in politics that I think is quite interesting. Uh, it's a term that first derived from the British House of Commons coined crossing the floor. And, and crossing the floor speaks to a moment where one elected party member votes in a way that goes against the party lines of the party he is aligned with. And when it reaches his, its full maturity, that, that, that elected member would physically get up and cross from one side of the room to the other. There derives the term crossing the floor. You know, um, in, in Britain, um, one of the well-known and most notable floor crosses in his time was Winston Churchill, who changed parties and then changed back again during his time in politics. In Australia, Barnaby Joyce crossed the floor 19 times during the Howard government because of whatever convictions that he had about different votes. But the record holder in Australia is a Tasmanian senator. Ah, Tasmania. <laughs> who voted against his own party lines 150 times. With that, Tasmania delivering on the goods. <laughs> the thing about floor crossing is when a politician votes against something and they break alignment with the party that they're part of, it has the ability to affect major change. It has the ability to change everything. Friend, I want to tell you today that one of the greatest things we can do is cross the floor from doubt, disbelief, fear, to faith, to belief. To, to, to holding on to his promises, that we cross the floor with the party of the enemy. We cross the floor of the lies of the enemy and we say, God, I'm holding on to what you have for me. We are divorcing ourselves from doubt. We are divorcing ourselves from fear and we are saying, God, I'm grabbing a hold on what you have for me. I'm holding on to hope. I'm holding on to faith. I'm holding on to breakthrough. I'm holding on to your son, Jesus, who died on a cross and rose again so that I could have forgiveness 
forgiveness. I could have life and life to the full. I'm holding on to statements in your word that say, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And when condemnation creeps in, I'm breaking agreement and I'm crossing the floor and I'm choosing to believe that if God has forgiven me, if God has set me free, that he will bring me to it and I will become more than a conqueror. We need to cross the floor from doubt to faith. Belief, my friends, is a choice. The boy's father makes this statement in Mark 9, 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears streaming down his face. Think about that moment. Here's this this father, tears streaming down his face. And he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. One scholar reflects on this statement and he thinks about, you know, what would the thought process of being in this man's life in that moment? And he extrapolates that the potential mindset of the father when he makes that statement, I do believe, help me in my unbelief. And what he derives is potentially this is what would have been thought. It's useless concealing from you. I can't hide. Mysterious and mighty healer the unbelief that still struggles in this heart of mine. I can't hide the unbelief that I've got. God, you see it. Jesus, you're already aware. It's useless for me to try to hide it. But the heart that bears me witness says that I do believe in you. I can't hide the doubt that I've got. But my heart makes this statement, I do believe in you. And if distrust still remains, I disown it, I wrestle with it, and I seek help from you against it. If distrust still remains, I disown it. I break agreement with it. I divorce myself from distrust and I cross the floor to you and I say, God, I need your help. I need a fresh injection of faith. Help me to believe your word. Belief by very definition is trust, faith or confidence in someone or something. I've got a great confidence in God. I've got a great confidence that no matter what happens, God is going to bring good out of it. That no matter what happens, God is working on my side. I have got a great confidence that, that He is there and He's got a plan and He's going to make a way where there is no way. I've got a great confidence that if I, if I honour Him and if I follow Him and I live a life that, that builds up you know, my faith and I dig into His Word, that He is going to guide me. He is going to help me. I've got a great confidence that when I follow God, He will be with me. And that right there, by very definition, is belief. It's a confidence in someone or something. Friends, I want to ask you, what have you put your confidence in today? Belief is a choice, but you have to choose to trust. You have to choose to have confidence, to be completely honest with with, with where you're at, and then choosing to acknowledge where you're at, but still deciding that you are going to hold on to what God says. Maybe you're going through a health struggle. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Maybe you've been given a, a, a prognosis that, that, that is catastrophic. You know, let, let's not just pretend that that's not a hard thing. But I know that God can still move. I know that God can still heal you. I know that God can still minister in your life. And even if he doesn't, you get to sit in his glory in heaven. I got a great, I got a great, a great faith that says no matter the outcome, God is still sovereign. God is still good. And I'm gonna follow him and I'm gonna trust him and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna believe for healing. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna believe for a miracle, whether it be here on earth or in heaven. 
And Father, I thank you for your faithfulness, no matter the outcome. God, I thank you that we are the, const, uh, the variable and he is the constant. Amen? He is the constant in our life. We've got to break agreement with disbelief and make a choice to trust the Word of God. Belief is a choice. The third and final thought today, if you're taking notes, write this down. Belief is a posture. Belief is a posture. Uh, when I was younger, I was part of a, a, a new work, a church plant. And uh, as part of this church plant, um, musicians are on every single week, right? There's not like there's 10 drummers or five guitarists. There's usually one drummer, one guitarist, one bass player, maybe a keyboardist. And if not a keyboardist, you know, th there's that dude that's like, I got a ukulele. Um, but there was, there was a guitarist, a young guy, and he, he used to play every single week, got to the point where his wrists became quite, quite sore. And uh, it, it got so severe that he'd strap his wrist, but the pain was overwhelming. And he couldn't, uh, he couldn't bear it any longer. And so he'd go to doctors to try to seek reprieve and, and help with what was going on, but, but nothing, nothing was working. And he, he was quite sad because he loved to worship God through playing the guitar and he couldn't do it anymore. And, and then one day he stumbles across a specialist that was a little bit odd because he had pain in his wrists. But he, he stumbles across uh, like a foot doctor is it like a, an ortho, orthopedic, whatever it is, right? A foot doctor. Um, pedi someone help me. Podiatrist, there you go. Um, a podiatrist. And this podiatrist brings this, this, this interesting you know, thought, this interesting theory. He goes, I think you've got pain in your wrists because of your fashion choices. He goes, what? He goes, well, bear with me. He goes, look at your shoes that you're wearing. They're converse. They're flat. There's no support. And this doctor begins to, to muse that, the strain is coming up his legs and it's tightening his back and then that's pulling his shoulders in and then that's pulling tension onto his arms and, and then the pain is manifesting in his wrists. And he goes, if you change your shoes, I reckon this is gonna fix your wrists. So he goes out and he gets a nice pair of shoes, I don't know, like some Air Max or maybe some Hush Puppies or something like that. And, um, and he swore by it, my, my wrists are fixed, I have no more pain. Now look, I'm not a doctor um, and... and I don't know, I think it's a little far-fetched, right, if I was to be honest with you. But what I do know is that the last 10 years, I've been a youth pastor on a youth pastor's wage, and, and I'm not buying expensive shoes very often. And, and there was a pair of shoes that I had for a long time that were like good from far, but far from good. And whenever I would preach in a service for like more than one service, like maybe one, two, three services on a Sunday, by the end of the day, my lower back would just, anyone know what I'm talking about? And you're just kind of like, oh. And I realized that if you don't have the right posture, it has the ability to produce great pain in your life. But if you have the right posture in your life, it produces strength and it produces health. What is the posture of belief? Well, friends, I'd submit to you today that the posture of belief is intercession. The posture of belief is prayer. You see, prayer shifts belief to reality. Prayer, intercession, increases our measure of faith. It helps us break agreement with disbelief. I want to invite the, uh, the band up this morning. And as they come, I want to read this last part in this passage that we've been looking at today, Mark 9, 28 to 29. It says, And when he came into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. You know, as I was studying this last statement, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. I found something interesting a few chapters earlier in Mark 2, 18 to 19. 
says this, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast when he's with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. Now, I, I think when I look at these two pieces of text side by side, there would have been some confusion among the disciples because Jesus says that this kind of thing can only come out by prayer and fasting. But earlier on, he had instructed his disciples not to fast. So here his disciples are unfasted. And then Jesus says, this thing can only take place by prayer and fasting. Man, maybe they're more spiritual than I am. Maybe, maybe they're more learned than I am. Maybe they're sharper than I am. But I think if I was in their shoes, I would have had great confusion in this moment. Jesus, you say this can only take place by prayer and fasting, yet you've instructed us not to fast. I think in that moment, Jesus was trying to teach His disciples a lesson. I think in this moment, Jesus was trying to illuminate something to them that they could carry for the rest of their life. I think that what Jesus was trying to show them in that moment is that special things require special preparation. Special things require special preparation. You can't just get to that moment of revival and then boom, it takes place. No, no, revival takes place by a church getting hungry for a move of God, praying, fasting for months and years and digging that well and saying, God, if you'd use anybody, would you use us? When we see God move in our life, it comes from the overflow of what He's been doing in the secret place, in our prayer moments, in those moments where we die to ourselves and we say, God, more of you and less of me. It's a place of preparation. Friends, I would submit to you today that preparation is a posture of belief. When we start praying, when we start laying a foundation and we say, God, I thank you for the good things you've done here in Highway Church over the last 27 years. We praise you for it. We honour you for it. We give you glory for it. But right now, we are laying a foundation for you to do something afresh. Right now, we are laying a foundation for you to move a Again, for you to bring new wine again. Father, we are laying a foundation and we are preparing in the secret place here in this building for the Gold Coast to be reached in greater measure than it's ever been reached before. And it wouldn't just stop here on the Gold Coast, but it would flow out into Brisbane, into Queensland, into our nation and into the nations of this world. We need to start preparing for what God is about to do. Friends, let me ask you today, would you stand to your feet and would you agree with me if you believe? Is there anybody in this place who believes that God can move? Is there anybody in this place that's believing for His power to hit and move out of this church and into this community? I want to tell you right now, as a Pentecostal church, we still believe. We still believe in the power of God. We still believe in laying on hands. We still believe in the impartation of the Spirit. We still believe that the same power that conquered the grave lives in us. He is alive. He is not dead. We still believe in the inerrant truth of the Word of God. We still believe that this book is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. And there are some powerful truths in it. Let me read this to you. Mark 10, verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. 
Mark 16, 17, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons and they will speak in new tongues. Exodus 23, 25, worship the Lord your God and His blessing will be on your food and water. And I will take away sickness from among you. Philippians 4, 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches in glory of Christ Jesus. And James 5, 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous person avails much. I love that. The prayer of the righteous person avails much. It it avails anxiety. The prayer of the righteous person can see breakthrough. It avails sickness. When we pray, God can minister and bring healing to sickness for that wayward son or daughter. The prayer of the righteous person avails much. God can bring them back in where there has been family breakdown, where there has been marriage problems. The prayer of the righteous person avails much. When things aren't moving in your business, the prayer of the righteous person avails much. Is there anybody who agrees with me on that today? The prayer of the righteous person avails much. In a moment, I'm gonna open the altar and we're gonna pray and we're gonna prepare for what God wants to do through this church again. Before I do that though, one of the key words in this statement It's righteous, the prayer of the righteous person. You see, if you're not in right standing with God, this scripture is calling you to repent. You've got to be righteous if you want your prayers to be effective and powerful. And right now in this room, before we go any further, I just ask, would everybody bow their heads and close their eyes? I want to ask you, are you in right standing with God? Maybe you once knew Him, but you've walked away. Maybe you've drifted. Maybe you've never had a relationship with Him. I'm not asking if you come to church. I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm asking if you're in right standing with God. I'm not going to call you out the front today. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you're saying, God, I need to repent. I need to get right with you. I want to give my life to you. He sent His Son to earth to die on a sinner's cross. But then He rose again three days later, victorious over death, sin and shame for each of us, one time for all time, so we could have life and life to the full. If you're not in right standing with God, but you wanna be, I'm gonna pray a prayer. If you wanna be included in that prayer, on the count of three, I want you to lift up your hand. One, it's the greatest decision you can ever make. Two, if you know you're not right with Him, today is the day to get right. Three, if that's you, lift up your hands to heaven. Yep, I see that hand. Is there anybody else who's saying, I need Jesus? Yep, thank you, brother. I see that hand. Anybody else who's saying, I need Jesus? Yep, thank you over there. A number of hands have gone up. Yep, up the back. Anybody else who's saying, I need Jesus? I need Jesus. He can make you righteous. We are not righteous in our own strength, but He can make you righteous. If you need Jesus, one more moment. Anybody else who's saying, I need Jesus? A number of hands have already gone up. Fantastic. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray a prayer together. Why don't you repeat this after me? And if you lifted up your hands today, believe this with your heart and confess it with your mouth. The Bible says you'll be saved. Come on, repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, today I'm making a decision to give you my life. I believe you died on a cross and you rose again so that I could have life and life to the full. Forgive me of my past. Give me a brand new future. From this day forward, I'm going to follow you in Jesus' name. 
Amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's give our friends a big round of applause. All right, here's what we're going to do in the last few moments. Belief is a position. Is there any believers in this place right now? If you're a believer and you're saying, God, I want you to do something fresh in my life, in my family, in this church, in this community. I want you to position yourself down the front right now. And we are going to begin to lay a foundation for what God is about to do. Come on, if that's you, you're saying, God, I want you to do something fresh. You would say, God, would you do it again? Maybe you're someone in the senior years and you've seen God do great and mighty things through this church. But we're going to position ourselves and we are going to begin to pray again for God to move. Come on, let's begin to sing. Father, we thank You. We thank You, Father. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with us or find out more about Highway Church, go to highway.com.au.